Hello and welcome back to Digital Strategy Unlocked, a show that helps CDOs, CIOs and other business leaders take a step back, breathe, get the broader perspective and really interact with peers and listeners to rethink how digital is transforming the businesses of today and tomorrow. I'm your host Deepak Sharma and really excited about our topic and our guest today. So today we are kind of taking a futuristic lens on digital transformations and we're going to step, you know, take a step into the progression of future and look at both how digital can help society and where it should go in the future and how service companies may have been missing a few things or have a few blind spots. For our guest today, we have somebody who has over three decades of experience across consulting services and most recently chief digital officer at Living Guard and now also authoring a book on digital transformations. Welcome to the show, Dipesh. And would you be so kind as to provide an intro for our listeners before we get started? Sure. Thank you, Deepak. Hello, everyone. My name is Dipesh Biswas. I live in the Silicon Valley since 1993. Prior to that, I've spent time in the ASEAN region in Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia. And before that, I started my career in India around 1985, when the mainframes were giving way to what was known as open systems and worked for a mainframe company in UK called ICL and then moved over to a company based out of Portland, Oregon called Sequent Computers and also spent serious time with Oracle those days in the early 90s in Malaysia and Singapore trying to bring a solution together for the first time uh, which was based on ISV solutions and not proprietary solutions. So that was the start of my career. Very quickly, I moved towards more of systems integration services because that's where the growth was and started into that by creating a company, uh, being part of the founders in 1993 in Silicon Valley for doing global outsourcing. Spent almost seven, eight years there, most notably serving General Electric, one of the pioneers of leveraging the first web 1.0 for improving internal operations rather than brochureware. And then I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to build an offshore outsourcing business for one of the largest big four companies, Deloitte, in 2003. And my career took me through the entire cycle of consulting for business operations to implementing more of ERP packages as they were called before. Spent significant time in doing that and moved towards the software sector primarily, starting off with Microsoft when they were transitioning to a subscription model, uh, which started off as a way of integrating seven discrete data centers, which we all know today as Azure. <laughs> served a lot of companies moving to a subscription model and then about seven years ago shifted to digital product engineering uh, where i helped companies actually use for the first time what was known as digital technologies everything was digital since the calculator but this got branded as digital technology primarily because the technology was not just supporting or enabling the business but became the business so that was, in my mind, really what defines digital transformation or digital technology. 
as being different from all other technologies we earlier referred to as information technology. And I've done that and have spent two years, last two years, primarily helping develop a digital commerce business for a Swiss company, complete retail through only digital channels. So that was very exciting. And that's the place where I saw everything come together, where digital is monetized. So Deepak, that's a quick minute and a half introduction, I guess. That is fantastic. Like I am really excited to dive deep into our questions here, Dipesh, because from Web 1.0 to Metaverse today, from starting the birth of Azure to like the multi-million dollar cloud, uh, you know, billions and trillions of dollar cloud market today. And then most recently, as you said, pulling everything together for a full digital retail strategy. I can't wait to kind of extract some of the nuggets of wisdom from you for our listeners. So really appreciate that. I'll dive in, you know, I know that, you know, in your upcoming book, you're going to talk a lot about firefighters and gardeners. And I wanted to begin there to see if you can help kind of illuminate these two roles a bit more and then expand on how they influence the digital transformation journey of an organization. Absolutely. So this started about three years ago. And as I tried to trace back my career, I had joined the industry, as I mentioned, where the mainframes were giving way to open systems. That was what we called the new technology those days. There was a huge application called MRP, where mainframes were used beyond system of records of stores ledger and payment ledger and balance sheet, etc., to using it for a process optimization called materials requirement planning. Yep, yep. Then Tom Davenport and then Michael Hammer, they talked about BPR or business process reengineering and companies such as SAP and Oracle quickly moved in to that space, taking advantage of open systems to create what is now known as ERP or enterprise resource planning. And they bought several companies, put them together and created for the first time something which we can refer to as not so much as process automation, but the workflow automation. So although people like ServiceNow, et cetera, talk about workflow automation today, it actually started in the early 90s where ERP packages came in. They didn't succeed in workflow automation, but they did do one thing very well, which was procedure automation. So that's where it started. And those days, the way I found leaders talking reminded me a lot about the military and the soldiers. And that later on I came to know when I came to US was by design. So because a lot of veterans who came out of World War II were encouraged to join the new companies that were coming up in the 50s in America, and they brought their parlance and their lingua franca with them. Of course, that created a lot more problem and that some of the examples we have heard of ERP projects going from 10 million to 200 million were all, I think, a result of that mindset where we brought in a military-like mindset into doing business in companies. But off late, the last 15 years, I saw a shift where people started talking more as 
firefighters. There was a sense of urgency, a need for speed, which somehow started justifying a firefighter approach. And as, as I compared these two, I find these styles have actually zeroed out the net benefits over time rather than concretely advance any company in their investment dollars, which happened in the last 10 years. So I'm trying to write a book which contrasts between what I call firefighter style of management versus a gardener style of management. Because I feel as you move technology towards becoming the product rather than enabling the product, this will have a very significant impact of how the company manages itself because it's not just sell once and then come back every year for signing up a maintenance contract. It's an ongoing relationship with the client. We hear terms like customer success. It's the consumption of your product that will give you revenues and not just a sell of a product. So if you behave like firefighters, there's a big possibility that you'll be disenfranchising the customer base. That is fascinating, the patient. And I couldn't agree more, at least on the transition or transformation towards more of the gardening strategy. You know, I'm a big customer success believer myself, and I lead that at Photon as well and in my previous roles. And I think the whole concept of being focused more on value and seeing how you're unlocking value, like you said, you're becoming the product versus enabling the product. And the moment you become the product, then it becomes about the adoption, the usage, the value created. And all of those requires more nurturing and kind of letting the garden bloom, so to say, versus like, here's a problem or here's a fire, go fix it. So it's a fascinating way you've drawn kind of over the timeline from that perspective. So I would say that I'm in agreement. I'd love to hear then get the feedback when we do on how our listeners think about it. Because I think it's a fascinating journey and I do see signs of that across several organizations right now, today as well. Any one thing on that, you know, just to take the conversation further, Dipesh, is, you know, as you become the product, what's also happening is the clients of digital technology-based product and services are going to become like the product managers, the business process owners, rather than what one would consider, let's say, traditional CIOs. How do you see this playing out over the next few years with like the firefighter versus the gardener strategy or the blend of both that are needed? And what are some of the CIOs in your mind already doing to capitalize on this need? Absolutely. So yes, there is going to be a change and the change is happening in two directions right now. I came from the era in the 80s where the title CIO was not really relevant or used. It was used to be EDP, at least in the British world, they used to call them as electronic data processing managers, EDP managers. That's what they were called. It was all about data. That role morphed when ERPs came in because now you were not managing just the data. The data was flowing through a set of procedures and creating system of records and to some extent systems of engagement in terms of entering the data converting it to information and that's when the title cio came up so that was the evolution and if you follow that trajectory with a lot of the infrastructure going away to outsourced vendors as a infrastructure as a service a lot of the software components themselves becoming cloud enabled 
the CIO does not really manage the technology or determine the technology so much. So what is going to happen is the CIO will morph and we are already seeing that happen uh, into more of the next evolution of information, which is analytics and intelligence. So you might see a CIO morphing into a CAO or a C intelligence officer and also some supporting roles like information security officer. So that's one trajectory. A lot of the large companies will continue to have this role because analytics and information security will become very pivotal in their existence. But a whole new set of roles are emerging with digital technology. It's chief digital officer, chief technology officer, essentially people who are stewarding the technology that their product people, that their process people are going to use to actually monetize the technology. So there is a great opportunity for people who are trying, who are very technology savvy, have subject matter expertise in areas with Web 3.0 or even with Web 2.0, but understand the implications and become kind of an advisor coach or themselves becoming product managers of future products. The example I often refer to is John Deere, where their chief digital officer actually owns the land more, so to speak, and they are trying to monetize the services of the land more, which is now more working like a Roomba and also controls the watering of the lawn and times it well so that you are actually watering the lawn when the rate for water is the lowest in your county. So all those are services which homeowner pays for and rarely notices that he or she is not paying for the more itself. So there's a whole bunch of technology that is needed to make it work. And that person could be called a digital officer or a chief technology officer, but is morphing into that kind of a business role rather than a support role as a traditional CIO. Got it. So Dipesh, just digging a little bit deeper there, because I think you, you sparked a couple of things in my brain that I'd like to unpack for our listeners here. One is the shift from selling a product to selling outcomes because you talked about all the services the homeowner gets. It's not just the lawnmower in this example, but it's actually, you know, you're also optimizing your bill. You're also conserving energy. You're using it at the right time. You're using it in an automated fashion. And when you think about the impact of that on the people, the job descriptions, the skills, the operating model needed, it can get pretty expansive to there. The other is while the CIO could morph into these, some of the things at least we are seeing is there are more roles coming up. So then that creates complexity of stakeholder management in terms of who owns which decision. You have a CIO, you also have a chief customer officer, you also have a chief digital officer, you also have a chief analytics officer. You now have like instead of one C-suite, four to six C-suite that all are kind of touching the same elephant, so to say. How do you see this playing out over the next few years? Like, what are the, what would you say, you know, is your thinking or guidance around how to think about setting up a structure? How broad do you go? How much do you consolidate? And then the impact on like the job skills and the operating model that companies will have as they shift from just selling product to selling more of the outcome to the end consumer or the user. 
So let me answer that question with a kind of an analogy. A lot of your listeners may not be familiar with the business of radiology. We used to have a classical radiologist who would you know, look at your charts, who overall managed the selection of the radiology system in a particular clinic or a hospital and was at the core of providing you that service. Uh, what's happening now with vision and image processing, vision AI, is that the radiologist domain, subject matter expertise, is being encapsulated as know-how embedded in software in the radiology equipment. And the person who's actually responsible for the operating model is really a person who's an expert in image processing and AI. So a complete reversal where the radiologist fits with a company perhaps like Intuitive, which does this kind of systems, radiology systems. A radiologist sits for a tech company and the techie who understands image processing AI actually works for the clinic. So it's a complete reversal depending on subject matter expertise, which is embedded in the digital technology versus running or rather the operations of the system that is delivering the service. So we can expect to see, now if you take this analogy into other businesses, you can see technology is actually becoming the business part of a healthcare industry or a manufacturing industry. And the mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, doctors working for tech companies to encapsulate their subject matter expertise and deliver it through software. Does that help you in understanding what's changing? Because that's a big change. How it will translate in different sectors will be different. Yeah, I definitely like the analogy. And then I think you're speaking to kind of some things that were going on in the back of my head, which is, you know, it's different skill sets. You're bringing in different domain experts, different people will be working for different companies. So we see, you know, beauty companies becoming beauty tech, health companies becoming health tech. I think tech will become an underlying thing in most companies. As I take this further in my mind, the question then that comes to my mind and maybe to some of our listeners as well is how should companies think and evolve their culture to have the leadership and the talent that will be needed for this? And in particular, how should services companies redesign their operating model and processes to capitalize on this where the world is going? So obviously culture will be key with this kind of a transition. Now it has a bigger play because why is this transition required? I think I had explained something that came up in a report from Davos in 2017, where right. they gave some very important metrics as to if we have to preserve the prosperity of a growing population of humans on earth while protecting the natural habitat, we need to think of different economic models which does not just exploit natural resources. So digital resources and monetizing digital activity will be key to ensuring this prosperity without harming the planet. And this is a very important agenda, may not be for people like me who are approaching 60, but very important for people who are in their 20s and 30s because they and their children will face the consequences. So it's a very important element and the switch to digital economy is critical. And the cultural change obviously will be driven by that. Why I called up the issue of firefighters and gardeners is firefighters 
are used to a known set of protocols, a known way of working, and basically a good manager is rewarded or punished by their ability to destroy the status quo, change a few processes, and achieve a quick short-term result. That's how people succeeded. And that's how the culture of firefighting became more eminent and prominent because the companies rewarded them. Albeit they created a lot of long-term problems, which anyway, you know, they passed on to their successor. So that culture existed and usually exists in a mature model, which we had with natural economy. Like we are seeing in the oil industry, etc. Really, there are no managers who are controlling the flow. It's a discussion between Putin and Biden and others who are really controlling how the oil will flow. It's a very traditional industry. All you're trying to do is break the current status quo. And that's why firefighters become important because they're there to minimize damage uh, and destroy things that will create more damage. But when you enter a new world of digital economy where you are transacting on things which do not actually consume oil, paper or minerals, and there are economic activities happening around that, the whole culture has to change because this is new. It has to go through the growth curve. It has new processes have to be defined. As I mentioned, the roles will get reversed. Software companies will hire radiologists and clinics will hire AI specialists. So how do you adjust to that working environment when the transition is happening? A gardener might adhere very closely to that. Uh, gardening changes with the season. What you grow in summer is different from what you grow in spring and fall. So we have to see how that morphs. While some foundational work has to be done, and that's where the winners and losers will exist. I had done some prototype for a company called 3M, and I'll give you their example. They're, they sell filters. Miners who go into different types of mines all over the world use the filters. And the always big issue is 3M getting enough sales. Are the customers following the rules of when you have to replace a filter? And huge issues, including lives lost or productivity lost come up. And that creates havoc. If you go to Africa, etc., there are big challenges the government is facing on safety versus productivity. So 3M created a protocol where the filter talks to 3M and says, hey, I'm getting filled. I'm at 40% capacity. I'm sitting in this particular place in Uganda where the delivery of a new mask takes three weeks. Please ship one mask now. Wow. Or if it is somewhere in Mexico, then you say, okay, I'm at 90%. Please ship a mask now. Not only that, the filter will also be able to do the spectroanalysis and say, I'm getting more of methane and less of carbon monoxide. Please send mask type 3, not type 2, because it's more appropriate for methane. Now, imagine the impact of this filter telling everybody in the supply chain of when, what filter to make available so that production is at peak and the miners are safe and inventory cost is optimized because nobody is holding inventory except 3M who can ship it globally wherever based on which filter needs replacement. So that is the world. Now, this is going to create a massive difference between will my vendor control my supply chain or will my procurement specialist control my service chain? Where do I hold inventory? And all the other issues related to HR, productivity, exploitation comes to play. So this shift will require a tremendous cultural change where you start trusting 
your vendor for most critical functions. So the core of your business, mining while keeping the miner safe, is now entrusted upon the filter maker who's actually delivering the service to you. So again, every industry will pan out differently, but this has brought a huge opportunity for companies who make these filters and they're actually redesigning their relationship with their mining clients and almost part owning some of the metrics that they get paid on productivity levels and on the safety factors of the miners rather than on the cost of goods of making those filters. Now that's good for the environment because you have to sell less filters. That means you cut down less forests for cellulose and you make more money and economic activity because the customer is paying based on how much more mine elements they're able to mine from their assets. Got it. That is fascinating the way you kind of talk through that example, Dipesh. You know, when I was coming on this morning, I didn't think that on the digital podcast, we would connect filters, AI-driven filters to MRP systems, to mainframes back in the day to kind of where it's going. But I think what is fascinating to me is one of the things you said is redesigning the relationship. I think that is the crux of where these new business and operating models will go is the whole value chain kind of gets redefined. The relationship, who is doing what, how are they connected, what skills you need. So it's a massive transformation and a massive opportunity. And in the end, aligning it to driving more prosperity and support for the world, as you said, coming out of one of these papers back in 2017. Uh, taking that, and I know we are coming up on time as well. I'll shift a little bit towards, you know, the last thing on my mind here today is given that we are towards the end of the year, we're getting into the holiday season and the fact, you know, that this big transformation, as you said, is also about driving prosperity. Given your breadth and depth of experience, what one or two key advice or guidance would you give for folks who are starting out and thinking about a career going forward in this new digital economy world that would come from your school of hard knocks? I'll share one which you know, happened with my first boss and the reason why that is so current because I met my first boss recently in August and I reminded him of what he had taught me. He, of course, did not realize he had taught me this, but he recalled the incident which created that learning in me. Uh, so I can tell you the story. It was pretty painful for me when it happened. But essentially what I learned was, and this is my advice to most people, is that your B game has no value. It's either A game or don't do it. And when I say A game or B game, 90% effort on anything has really no value. It's the extra 10% which creates the value which becomes your B game. So going that extra mile, spending that extra hours, and I have got stories and stories as a consultant of burning the midnight oil, but that extra two hours I spent after a six-week project, the two hours is what made all the difference in term, terms of client acceptance and wowing the client. So B game never matters. Don't do it. Sit at home if you can't bring your A game to the company. It always matters. That's the only thing that makes a difference. And it's very rewarding and enriching. Even if you don't get more stock options, you feel you have made a difference. And usually you build things to last based on your A game, never based on your 
B game or mechanically doing things, attending meetings because you have to fill a calendar. Don't do that. Make a difference. Bring your A game to the town. That's my key advice, especially given the millennials who are really going to make a difference in adopting this digital economy and making it success. I, I can't think of a better way to kind of end our or close out our discussion today, Dipesh. In fact, I'm going to take that and also apply it to my kids. You know my daughters, so 17 and 12. <laughs> but I think I love that. Your B game does not matter. Bring your A game or sit at home. That is fantastic. I think that's great, profound advice. It's punchy and it packs a lot in it. Deepak, if I can interrupt, there is another one which you know I have learned in my life beyond that first then that happened almost 35 years ago. If you allow, I'll share that because I think it's very relevant both for the firefighter versus gardener story. And that is a lot of us who work, especially the millennials, they're dependent on their paycheck for their survival. So oftentimes you start becoming more loyal to your boss rather than loyal to the logo on your payslip. And I would urge people to Definitely listen to whoever you call as boss, as long as you are learning things which you didn't know. But keep your loyalty for the logo, never the boss, because loyalty to the logo brings out a desire for something which can scale, last, be resilient. And those are the attributes needed in the gardener way of managing a business, rather than being loyal to someone who's out there as a firefighter, creating a flare, shooting down a flare, and then going away after two years, having left a mess behind, which will take years to correct. So my advice to a lot of the people who are getting into the digital technology space and trying to change the world, which is the spirit with all of us get into the world, into the business world, is be loyal to the logo on your payslip always. And if there's a conflict, tell your boss that and share with them the concern you have in the loyalty the boss is seeking as to why you'd like to be more true to the logo than the boss. And if you learn something from the boss, there's always a lot to learn. Be open enough and learning enough to learn, but keep your loyalty for the logo. Fantastic. I mean, this has been great. Truly an awesome conversation today, Dipesh. And I thank you once again, both for your insights and guidance and kind of the thinking of where the world is going, how digital economy will come out. And I think both of the advice and guidance for our listeners is spot on, which is B game doesn't matter. Bring your A game, be loyal to the logo first and always. So really appreciate that to all our listeners. Don't forget to subscribe to Digital Strategy Unlocked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you prefer. And once again, Dipesh, thank you for the great conversation and insights. Really looking forward to seeing what our listeners reaction to these are and any further things that they may want to hear and hopefully get you back on the show again in the near future. Thank you, Dipak. And I would love to know what your listeners have to say on what we discussed. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.